Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Couch Potato Podcast. Lucas is back this week, and him and I are going to sit down to talk about the 2019 Quentin Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think it turned out to be a pretty good one. We hope you guys enjoy it. So, after the trailer, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Critics everywhere are raving about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Woo! Rolling Stone says it's pure cinema pow. Time Magazine declares DiCaprio and Pitt are marvelous together. Here I come. Oh, here I come. Oh. Esquire proclaims it's Tarantino's masterpiece. What a picture. Good picture. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Rated R. Okay, welcome back to the Couch Potato Podcast. My name is Russ, and... This week, I'm not doing the episode by myself. I am joined once again by New Carlisle's most handsome man, Mr. Lucas Cydrus. It's a me, Mario. Ooh. Oh, wait, no. Sorry, I, I have the, the mustache, and you said I look like Mario, so. You do. That is an epic dick duster you got rocking right now. <laughs> the crumb catcher. Yeah, you look like you should run a pizzeria in a small New York, like a borough in New York City. Only if I can have, like... Wasn't Spider-Man a pizza delivery boy who got fired in, in and, one of the Spider-Man movies? And two, yeah. He was uh, yeah. a pizza delivery driver, and he got fired because uh, they did that 30 minutes or less guarantee that a lot of pizza places did mm-hmm. back then. Man, that's awesome. They don't do that shit now. Like, oh, no, hey, like... pizza. It might be warm. It might be fucking... You know, cold, whatever. You got your pizza. Deal with it. Yeah, I think there's a pizzeria here in town that just says you'll get the shit when you get it. <laughs> that should be their slogan. <laughs> if I had a pizza place, that actually would be mine. Because <laughs> um, I don't know if you've ever been to. There's a chain of restaurants called Dick's Last Resort where they like you go in and essentially they insult you the whole time you're in there. They oh, put these I've, like I've paper hats that. on and like they'll just write derogatory shit on your your hat. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, I'm I have never been in one, but I've seen that they exist. Yeah, they're they're kind of cool. I mean, as long as you're not like one of those people that just gets offended by everything, you'll have a good time in there. Yeah, but uh, so it'd be a good place for us. Yeah, uh, well, Giuseppe, are you ready to do this uh, week's episode? <laughs> Yahoo! Yeah, dude, like you seriously, like yeah, I'm just waiting for like you to yell at some kids for stealing candy bars inside your shop. <laughs> All right. Uh, this week we're doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the 2019 Quentin Tarantino film. Um, I've been wanting to do this movie for a while. Like I know uh, early on, I, I think I sent you a text message saying, like, hey, I want to do this at some point. I think this was when we were doing the watch-along format. Yeah. Actually, I remember when we were coming up with the idea for our podcast, this is one of the ones you really wanted to watch Yeah, from and- the onset. Yeah, and then, like, the more I got to thinking about it, like, when I watched it last night, I was like, I forgot that this movie is almost three hours long. Yeah, it's a really long movie. Yeah, this would have been this would have been one of those episodes where we split it in half. It's like, hey, tune, a good in, idea. tune in next week, we'll give you part two, which, I don't know, I guess considering how uh, our schedule's been lately, I guess that wouldn't have been too bad, because yeah, we would have had an not. episode in the can already. Yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't have had to have done one by myself. Sorry, man, you know, work, babies, bills. I Man, I get it. I, I I did okay. People were telling me that I wasn't as bad as I thought. I heard I was a little hard on myself during the episode. 
Absolutely. It was, it was good. I liked it. I, you know, you sent me the advanced copy of it and I really liked it. Yeah. I called that a screener copy. Like, you know, like, Hey, check this out. See what you think. I see what you did there as a movie podcast. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, it would also have been if I, if you would have said it was bad, it's just like, Hey, guess what gang? We're not putting on an episode this week. <laughs> so, uh, getting back to, uh, the topic at hand, uh, when was the first time you seen this movie? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I remember I watched it on your recommendation because I believe you saw this in theaters, if I'm not mistaken. I did. I didn't get to see it. Uh, usually I'm one of the people that rushes out to see uh, Tarantino's movies opening weekend. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see it till like a few weeks after it had been out, but yeah, I, I seen it in theaters. Yeah, so I, rem- I think actually we split the cost of this uh, to buy it digitally. Yeah, which we do from time to time. Yeah, and that's that's uh, when I first watched it when when it came out digitally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I know uh, it just you know I have kids as well, so sometimes it's a chore trying to go see a movie on opening weekend. But yeah, I went seen this in theaters and fucking loved it. And it's even one of those movies now that the more times I've seen it, I like it more each time I see it. Like I thought it was really good in theaters, but like, I watched it last night and I was like, fuck, this movie's awesome. Yeah, I've seen it twice and I liked it. I, I I see what you're saying. Yeah, I like because you notice more and more. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot in this movie. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, where now we did Inglorious Bastards back uh, in May, I believe. I don't know. We've done this would be 54 now, so I'm starting to lose track of when we do these. But we did Inglorious Bastards back in May, pretty sure. And I think you and I were pretty much of the consensus that. Bastards and Pulp Fiction are his best two movies. Yes. I mean, we like, were then. I mean, like watching this, I, I may have to move this up there. Yeah, I was in uh, ranking. That was one of my questions. Um, like, for me, I'd still put Bastards and Pulp Fiction one and two. Depending on my mood, I still lean a little bit more towards Pulp Fiction, but Bastards and that are one and two. But this one is very, like, it's set, it's number three. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a real big Kill Bill fan. I really like those movies, mm-hmm. both of them. The second one's not as good as the first one, but I'm a really big fan of those. But, yeah, I would say that Pulp Fiction, to me, is Tarantino's best mm-hmm. uh, movie. But, yeah, I mean, you could probably interchange this with Bastards, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a second uh, movie he's done where he's uh, fucked around with history, too. Yeah, changed up the narrative. What what happened if, uh, you know, the bad guys didn't win? Right, which uh, for those of you that are not familiar with this, um, that Sharon Tate was the pregnant wife of a uh, piece of shit movie director, Roman Polanski, which I'm not going to get into Polanski, but uh, do a little research. He's not a very, not a very nice individual. Um, but uh, him or her, Sharon Tate and her friend, I think a couple of friends, were murdered in her in their house by uh, members of the Manson family. Yeah, uh, I, th- I believe Abigail Folger, one of the heiresses to the Folgers Coffee Company, was one of them that got murdered. Yeah, um, but uh, I'm not going to spoil it for you too much because this is like this is like the like the probably most current movie we've ever done on our show. It's from 2019, so I don't think it'd be right for me to spoil it all the way through. But yeah, they do. 
tinker around with the, the timeline a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I would say this is probably number three for me. And I was doing some uh, – during my research, 2019, uh, this was a murderer's row of Best Picture nominees too because I was wondering, like, why didn't this win Best Picture for him? Because it's – like, I thought it was fantastic. But uh, just some of the nominees, uh, Parasite, have you ever seen that one? No, I still haven't seen that. That's that South Korean film. Yeah, very, very good movie. Uh, deserved Best Picture, I think. Um, the Irishman with uh, De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, 1917, which I know you and I both really enjoyed. That's a really, really good movie. And uh, Ford versus Ferrari. Also a very good movie. Yeah, and then this one, we're just among the nominees that year. Wow, yeah, you're right, Murder's Row. Yeah, it just makes me wonder if this would have come out in any other year. Like, if this would have come out the year that The Shape of Water was released, which I think not a very good movie. It's uh, the Squid Man, Guillermo yeah. del Toro. Like if it would have came out the year that that won Best Picture, would it had would once upon a time Hollywood have won? It probably would have had a better chance. I yeah. Mean, I mean, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into ranking those movies, but I think I could think of at least one that I like better than this movie. Not that I'm crap. I'm not crapping on this movie. I promise, Russ. I really, really like this movie. Uh, There's no. just one that I that I like a little bit better. Uh, you're, I'm probably guessing it's 1917. Yeah, yeah, I really like that movie a lot. Yeah, that one was really good. Uh, I would say it would for me it would be Parasite, then this one, then 1917, then uh, Ford versus Ferrari. That's a fucking fantastic popcorn movie that I was surprised got an Oscar nomination, but was glad to see it get nominated. Yeah, Christian Bale is fantastic in that movie. I agree. I agree. Um, well, hey, you ready to knock these uh, categories out? Let's do it. All right. The Tale of the Tape. Uh, this movie was released on July the 26th, 2019. This stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Al Pacino, Emil Hirsch, and Margaret Qualley, among countless people that you would instantly recognize in just, like, very small roles. Uh, I noticed for the first time last night that Martin Cove who you guys may know as uh, John Kreese from the Karate Kid series, is in a very small scene in the uh, the Bounty Law episode they showed at the beginning of the movie. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's the guy sitting in the chair before. Yeah, that's Martin Cove. Um, of course, this was directed by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 85% from critics and 75% from audiences. This made $374 million on a $96 million budget, which I believe is Tarantino's highest-grossing movie to date. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and it didn't even get released in China, which uh, China, I think, is getting ready to overtake North America as the biggest movie market in the world. Probably. I mean, shit, they got more people, and they've really, really invested heavily in cinema. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if it has, if it surpassed them yet, but it it's probably close. And they didn't release this movie in China and still made that kind of money, which is impressive for a drama. Yeah, this probably probably would have been in close to probably seven hundred million after. Well, I don't know about that. It probably would have been like I'd say five. It would have been a half a billion dollar gross for this for sure. Because you got to think, think so. China's probably another hundred million dollars or so. 
Yeah, I was I was I was scoring them a little higher. I figured they. Might yeah, this isn't this more. isn't the Avengers, <laughs> in like the nineteen sixties Hollywood. I'm sure it would have made a shit ton more if it had like Captain America in nineteen sixties Hollywood. Like, can you just imagine like Captain America at the Spawn Ranch, <laughs> <laughs> or him smoking a uh, acid laced cigarette later on? I was gonna say, is he gonna do acid? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe we just created a whole new fucking movie. <laughs> Uh, this movie was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, including Best Picture. It did win two. It won Best Costume Design, and Brad Pitt won Best Supporting Actor for his role as Cliff Booth. Definitely well-deserved. Right. And I was surprised that this movie is not streaming on any service. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is a little surprising. Yeah, because I, I looked it up, and I'm like, just watch the app that I always use to see what's streaming. I was like, oh... Like, it never lets me down, but I thought it did for a minute. And then, like, sure enough, I searched every site that I have because I have all the major streaming apps. Nope, not on there. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Surprise. So, uh, any of you streamers out there, get this movie on your platform. Sure, it'll. I'm sure after this episode, you're going to get a lot, a lot of demand for it. Not not really, but... (laughs) Hey, you never know. Yeah. We might be be more popular than we think we are. Yeah, well, there's going to be at least one person. Like, hey, I listened to this this okay podcast, and uh, they said that uh, they want me to send you a nasty letter to get Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on your service. Come on, Paramount Plus. I was going to say, send send, uh, the representatives of these streaming services a nasty email, Uh, a strongly worded email. Uh, Don't use profanity, though. That You get more... Was that more flies with honey than vinegar? Is that how that saying goes? I believe so. All right. Well, I mean, I'm not that old yet to where I perfect these old folksy sayings, but. Yeah, step your game up. (laughs) Yeah, I'll just have to get an old folksy saying book at some point. Have it right here next to my iPad. (laughs) All right. Uh, The William Somerset Research Corner. There was a shit ton to dig into this, so I just kind of cherry pick some of the best ones that I liked. Um this is the first movie that Quentin Tarantino made that did not involve Bob and Harvey Weinstein. They had produced every movie he had done up in, or until this one. And of course, uh, this is uh, Harvey Weinstein at this point had, you know, all these sexual allegations came out against him and kind of finding out, like, how big of a piece of shit he is. So Tarantino severed his ties with them all together started a bidding war for the rights to this movie where pretty much every major studio, with the exception of Disney and Fox, were bidding to try to get the rights to this movie, and Sony ended up winning. You know, good on Tarantino for cutting ties with that piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I know uh, in Inglorious Bastards, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow had had issues with uh, Harvey Weinstein and uh, Brad Pitt for the longest time. But those two used to date for a while refused to work for uh, Harvey Weinstein because uh, what he did to Gwyneth Paltrow. And I, I don't know exactly the extent of it, but I know it didn't, it didn't result in anything like, it just, I think it was, she felt very uncomfortable around him. He made like a couple of passes at her, but nothing like outside of that, which is inappropriate either way. But uh, right. Brad Pitt refused to work for the Weinstein brothers for years until the opportunity came along to work with Quentin Tarantino and, I think it was just like, well, it's a chance to work with Tarantino, so it's, you know, kind of make a deal with the devil. Right. But yeah, good for him, though. I mean, I don't think 
I think him severing his ties with him, I don't think it really is one of those things, like, it's still Quentin Tarantino. Like, people are going to, like, line up to get his movies, whether he's with them or not. So, yeah, good for him, though, man. Well, I was thinking more like it could have been one of those things where he's he's done it so long with those guys and he was comfortable with that, you know, mm-hmm. stepping outside of his comfort zone a little bit. Yeah, well, I'm sure he pretty much had, like, the ability to make whatever movie he wanted, which I guess is how Sony won the rights, is they gave him the rights to the final cut. Oh, okay. So I guess that was a big factor in Sony winning out at the end. But it was weird to see uh, the Sony logo come up on this last night because it's usually uh, either the Weinstein Company or Miramax for a time at the beginning of his movies, and then like this came up. I just thought it was a little strange to see. Yeah, changes are weird. They are. Uh, I thought this was kind of fascinating that uh, Tom Cruise was in talks to play Cliff Booth. Huh. Uh, he eventually had to turn it down because it's uh, shooting conflicted with Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, so they end up getting Brad Pitt. The rest is history. Which I think well, it works. Know. I think it works better with Brad Pitt. Well, I was gonna say, you know how I personally feel about Mission Impossible Fallout. I fucking love that movie. Oh, dude, awesome movie. I think it worked out best for everybody that uh, Tarantino got uh, Brad Pitt. Tom Cruise is able to make Mission Impossible Fallout. At the end of the day, we all win. We all win. People that go to the movies won. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think Cruise could have pulled this off because uh, no. Cliff Booth has a kind of a cool factor about him. He just kind of like, I don't know, it seems like he's really unaffected by anything. He just kind of goes about his day and just lets the day kind of wash over him at the end. And yeah, I, I don't right? think... I don't think Tom Cruise has that that kind of charisma to him. He's Tom Cruise is cool in his own Tom Cruise way, but he's kind of also since he's such a good actor, he's kind of robotic a little bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the cool factor kind of you know it's not a it wouldn't it wouldn't work as well with him. I don't think. Yeah. Um, Burt Reynolds was cast as George Spawn, but passed away before his scenes were shot, so they had to replace him with Bruce Dern. Hmm. That sucks. Which, um, reading a lot of the uh, the parallels of this movie, like the, the relationship between uh, Cliff and Rick, mm-hmm. uh, the most uh, common one that I seen was uh, the, the relationship between the two uh, mirrors, the relationship between Burt Reynolds... And his old stunt double, uh, Hal Needham, who mm-hmm. ended up directing, uh, he directed Smokey and the Bandit. And some of the the late 70s, early 80s uh, Reynolds stuff, I think he did Hooper, too, which is about a stuntman. Oh, nice. But uh, those two were extremely close. And they, they, and I mean, it makes sense that the relationship between Cliff and uh, Rick is kind of similar to that. So I thought it was just right. very very cool that Burt Reynolds was going to be in this and like kind of the dynamic between the two leads is based off of him and his stuntman. Yeah. I almost wonder if, cause you know, Tarantino, he wrote this as like a, a love letter to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. He's got, he's got this, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say strange love, but he's got this love for Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So he probably, I'm sure read about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, looking back, like just watching this movie, if that's how Hollywood was in the 60s, that looked like a place that I would love to be in. 
in that time yeah. frame. That is so cool. Just that whole that whole vibe was really cool. Um, also, uh, James Tracy, the uh, the actor who is in the show Lancer. That's the primary role that Rick Dalton is in in the movie. Oh yeah, uh, that's that was actually a real show. Jim Tracy was a real actor, and uh, Tarantino wrote this for Bill Paxton. Huh. But Bill Paxton passed away while he was writing the script, so Timothy Oliphant ended up getting cast as uh, Jim Tracy. And uh, during my research, uh, you know the scene at the end or at the end of the shoot where Oliphant takes off on the motorcycle? Yeah. Uh, Jim Tracy actually was involved in a very severe motorcycle accident where his girlfriend was riding on the bike with him. She got killed, and he lost his arm and leg in the accident. Shit. Yeah. So I don't know if that was like kind of a foreshadowing, him being on the motorcycle, but... Well, probably, yeah, probably. Like, you know, because Tarantino does all that research before he... When he writes and before he shoots and stuff. Mm. Um, I thought this one was really cool. Um, since Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home is a box office juggernaut at the moment still. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, actor that plays uh, Sam Wanamaker, the director on the set of Lancer, his mm-hmm. name is Nicholas Hammond, and he was actually the first actor to play Spider-Man in a live-action capacity. Really? Uh, CBS made uh, a short-lived uh, television show called Amazing Spider-Man. It ran from like 70, 77 to 79, and it ran for 13 episodes. I bet that was rough. It is. Uh, I remember them as a kid, and like, Spider-Man had these really weird-looking, like for his web shooters, they look like the those, uh, like the wrist, or like the watch bands, those uh, steel watch bands that you get. Oh yeah, they like these big steel uh, wrist like watch bands on his his arms. I mean, for, considering like that was the, the only time you got to see Spider Man until what when Spider Man come out like two thousand. Uh, the first ninety nine two thousand. It was somewhere ninety eight maybe. No, it wasn't ninety eight. I think it was ninety nine or two thousand. I no, actually, I think it was two thousand and one. Ah, uh, dude, time runs together for me. <laughs> Anymore it does. It was in that 99 to 2001 time frame. But uh, he actually, uh, Nicholas Hammond, the actor, plays uh, Wanamaker and the Peter Parker from the 70s. Um, he found out that Tarantino ran a uh, restored print of the 1977 pilot movie of The Amazing Spider-Man at his theater that he owns in L.A. The I think it's the Arclight. Mm-hmm. No, it's the New Beverly. Tarantino owns the New, the new Beverly. Um, but uh, I guess uh, Hammond reached out to him to thank him for, you know, like thinking of him and like restoring this movie. So then a few months later, Tarantino calls him and offers him the role of Wanamaker in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's sweet. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, speaking of Burt Reynolds, uh, James Marsden, who you might remember as uh, he played Cyclops in the, the good X-Men movies. Yeah. Uh, he was cast as Burt Reynolds in this, but they cut the role out. Out of, like, respect for Burt Reynolds? No, it just didn't fit in the narrative. Uh, Tim Roth oh, okay. also had a role in this movie that got cut. Hmm. So, yeah, just sometimes it just didn't work story-wise, so got to get the axe, get him at. Get him at. 
So put it down. Put it down. Get him out. Uh, so yeah, they uh, they had to cut his role. And then the uh, the last one that I have is the uh, Squeaky, the member of the uh, Manson family who was banging George Spawn, kept him in check. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence read for that role. Oh wow! But uh, just I guess uh, Tarantino said on the uh, Mark Maron podcast. Shout out to the Mark Maron podcast. Awesome show. If you guys don't listen to it. Um, I guess uh, Tarantino just told him uh, it just didn't work out, so they ended up casting uh, Elle Fanning to play that role, who I didn't know that that was one of the Fanning sisters until I did the research on it. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that was one of them. Like, I was like, it's just one of those things where it didn't really click to look at it, and then when I was doing the research today, uh, seeing that that was her, I'm like, well, I'll, I'll be damned. See, I'm really I'm better with faces. So mm. as soon as I see somebody's face, I I recognize them a little bit better. I'm not great at putting names to them, mm-hmm. but um, I remember faces. Yeah. So I figured she looked kind of familiar mm-hmm. when I first seen this. Well, later on, uh, I'll be bringing it up. Uh, the Manson family was played by quite a few, and my uh, computer apparently wants to do a restart tonight. Nice. So. Uh, <laughs> So thank you, computer, for letting me know. But uh, I'm going to delay that to later on. I'm busy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the uh, the Manson family. Uh, a lot of the women in that are played by uh, famous children of uh, Hollywood stars. So I'll get into that a little bit later. All righty. All right. Uh, what do you have for your research? Uh, so you were talking about how this didn't come out in China. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the big. Uh, it's it's not confirmed, but it's a rumor that uh, Shannon Lee, the daughter of Bruce Lee, absolutely fucking hated the way that her father was portrayed oh, in this movie. That's not a rumor. That's legit. She's been interviewed. She she did not like the way uh, her dad was portrayed in this, like uh, kind of as a cocky asshole. Yeah. Well, I'm I, I worded that wrong. So the the that part, you know, obviously is true. The rumor is that she went to the um, the National Film Administration of China mm-hmm. and asked them to cut out the scenes of Bruce Lee in this movie. And they approached Tarantino, and he refused, so China wouldn't let it be released because of that. Hmm. Yeah, I know that uh, <clears throat> that scene was the reason why it didn't get released in China. I didn't know that Shannon Lee had anything to do with that. Kind of interesting. Interesting. I know that. Yeah, that was a big, a big thing with this was when it came out that uh, Tarantino got quite a bit of flack for uh, the way Bruce Lee was portrayed in that movie. I don't know. I don't remember Bruce Lee except for what I've seen in movies. So I don't know what kind of uh, person he was when he wasn't on on film. Uh, from the documentaries I've seen, he seemed like a cool dude. Yeah, everything I've seen, he's like a very. He was a very humble. Yeah down-to-earth kind of guy. He was nothing like the the character. Yeah, I know I thought for the longest time, too, that uh, um, the scene with Cliff and Bruce Lee where they're fighting each other, mm-hmm. uh, I thought for the longest time that since uh, you know Cliff was up on the roof trying to fix Rick's antenna that it's kind of like when you have like a memory, it's kind of like what you... Uh, your figment of the memory, it's not like it may or may not always be the truth, but it's kind of like how you remember it. Right. Or, you know, Cliff isn't exactly an up-and-up human being. 
He's got his yeah. demons. Not going to get into that. But uh, yeah, I think it might just be like his interpretation of what happened. Or it may have just not happened at all. He was just kind of a figment of his imagination. It very well could be, yeah. But uh, I guess uh, Tarantino wrote a, uh, a novelization of this movie, which uh, I don't know if you remember back. They used to be really big in like the 90s, at least when I remember, that when a, a big movie came out, they did like a, a novel. It was basically they took the screenplay and wrote a book out of it. No, I, I don't. That's not something I remember. Oh, yeah, they used to do it all the time. You'd find them on paperback. Like, you'd get, like, the novelization of, like, Last Action Hero or Cliffhanger. Interesting. But uh, Tarantino wrote a novelization for this movie, and, like, I guess he beefed up a lot of the stuff. And I guess apparently this wasn't a figment of Cliff's imagination. This is, like, according to Tarantino's story, this actually was an event in the movie that him and Bruce Lee had a fight and... Bruce Lee was a dickhead in Tarantino's universe. Well, it's uh, it's Tarantino's world, and we're just living in it. In this right, movie. yeah. I mean, he kind of has already, as we know, he's kind of dicked around with how things are seen in his universe. So maybe Bruce Lee was just an asshole in the Tarantino universe. Right. I don't know. I mean, it was a, it's a cool scene. It's one of my favorites in the movie. It is. The fight scene is really cool. Yeah. Well, what else you got? I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. We're, this is a podcast. We're supposed to discuss these things. Right. And, I mean, I, I know I'm so used to talking to myself. I have to get out of that <laughs> mentality now. Like, I've, I've got somebody on the show with me. If you'd like, I can get a fat head put on your kitchen wall so that you can talk to it when I'm not there. You know, honestly, I tried Chewbacca back when uh, we did the Die Hard episode. It didn't work for me. Like, I just put my head down and just fucking read my notes and went with it. Well, it worked. I liked it. All right. Well, what else do you have? Um, so Margot Robbie is in this movie. Yeah, always. And uh, as you were talking about, she played Sharon Tate. Um, we all know it's it's historical, you know, Sharon Tate and all those people were murdered mm-hmm. at their house. Um, she did such a good job with the character that Sharon Tate's sister actually, like, bawled her eyes out. Because she, as she was watching it, she felt like she was watching her sister mm-hmm. on film. Yeah, Margot Robbie's really good in this. And I'm actually surprised she didn't get an Oscar nomination for this. Uh, I think she got nominated for a movie called Bombshell the same year. I think it's the same year. It's about the whole the Fox News sex scandal where oh, the, yeah, their yeah. president. She got nominated for that. But I think she should have been nominated for this. She's fantastic as Sharon Tate. But... She is. She's phenomenal in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about how things had to be cut out of the movie, mm-hmm. you know, as as they do. Uh, the original cut of this movie was four and a half hours long. Well, there you go. That's uh, that's why Burt Reynolds didn't make the final cut. Yeah, that's that's a lot of movie. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, what? Could have. I would have been okay watching a four and a half hour cut of it. Man, you're getting into Lord of the Rings: Return of the King uh, extended territory well, there. When I watch these movies now, like, I am surprised. I, like, I was shocked I was able to get through Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in one city because I usually have to break them in half because I usually fall asleep. Yeah. Because I've, I've treaded into old man territory now where I fall asleep in a chair at, like, 930 at night, so. Wake up, Papaw. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> come on, get up. Take your pill and go uh, to bed. <laughs> the last one I've got is uh, we talked about how great Brad Pitt is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually improvised most of his lines in this movie. Really? 
which is very unusual for a Tarantino movie. You know, he honestly he doesn't have a lot of lines of dialogue in this movie. When I was watching right. it, he's like outside of the the interaction with uh, Pussycat in the car and the Spawn Ranch. He maybe has a few lines here or there, but he, he doesn't really do a lot of the speaking in this. Yeah, so I mean, everything that he did in this, he he improvised himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I uh, my favorite line. Uh, is from him, and I didn't know that he improvised that. So when we get to that award, I'll let the cat out of the bag. But, yeah, I did see that that particular line was improvised. I didn't know he did all of his own stuff. Well, actually, it doesn't say all of it, but for the most part. So almost all of it. Well, that's pretty cool, though, that uh, Tarantino gave him that kind of reign to do whatever. Right. I mean, Tarantino is known for writing very – like very good screenplays and having very good dial like you know dialogue. So like the fact that he said, okay, just kind of do whatever you want with this, is, right? But I think that since him and Pitt have worked together before, I guess maybe there's that level of comfort that he knows what he's going to get. Yeah, I mean, same with uh, DiCaprio. I mean, I'm sure he, maybe DiCaprio kind of got the same reign as well. He may have. Yeah, I'm, I I didn't read about that. I just know that uh, Pitt got. Got to improvise a lot of his lines. Yeah. Well, pretty cool. Is that all you had? That's all I got. Uh, good stuff, man. Uh, a lot of stuff that I didn't even know. So, Awesome. Yeah, was a, that was a good research corner. Bravo. Bravo. Good, sir. <laughs> um, the I Drink Your Milkshake Award for the best scene of the movie. Uh, I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Lucas, what is your nominee for this? Mine is actually at it's towards the end, um, which be kind of a I won't say who it happens to, but the flamethrower. Okay, I love because who doesn't love a flamethrower? Yeah, the whole, uh, the whole changing of you know being in Tarantino's universe, we'll say I I really enjoy that. Also, you're basically talking about the finale at Rick's house, right? Okay, that whole scene, big fan of that. That is good. Uh, I know. Uh, I, I love like Cliff just nails it, the whole mm-hmm. thing. Uh, plus, uh, kudos to Brandy the dog. Yeah, <laughs> who may be coming up in a little bit too. Um, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I really like that one. Uh, I know for me, I also like like we discussed. I like the scene with uh, Bruce Lee and Cliff on the on the set. Uh, plus, you get a little bit of Kurt Russell in there, which. As you know, Anytime Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell. <laughs> Kurt Russell's my favorite actor. I love Kurt Russell, so the fact that he shows up in this is like just makes my fucking day. And he's the narrator in it too. Yeah, I was gonna say you got you got a man crush on. I got a double uh, dip Kurt of Kurt Russell. Russell. Well, he's fucking awesome, dude. He's like super cool. Like I remember, um, like I listened to uh, Bill Simmons' podcast a lot, and um, uh-huh. he was uh, talking about the interview he did with him and. He said that whenever, like, he'd have, like, celebrities come into his studio, they'd usually have an entourage. They'd have, like, a, like a, their agent, and they'd have, like, a bodyguard. You know, like, just six, seven, eight people come into the room with him. He said when Kurt Russell came to his studio to do the interview, it was just him, had a leather jacket on. He said he smelled like Marlboro Reds. <laughs> Set That's his keys down. And says, yeah, he says, hello, I'm Kurt Russell. And just went in, sat his keys on the table, and they did the interview. And I was like, man, that's so fucking cool. And he just said that, like, 
that old school cool isn't really a thing anymore in Hollywood. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of, it's probably a lot of cockiness in Hollywood. Now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do like that one. Uh, my favorite scene is, uh, when Cliff drops Pussycat off at Spawn Ranch. Just yeah. because of how, t- like, that's probably the, the scene that creates the most tension in the movie. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, I, le- I don't think this is really a spoiler too much, but, like, I legitimately thought that they were going to kill Cliff in that. Right, yeah. Like, when he decides, it's- he's like, he wants to go see George in the room, and, like, they're kind of being resistant to it. Yeah. And he kind of forces his way I, in I there. I thought they it. were, too. Yeah. And then I just love the fact that, like, they put that knife in his tire, and he just beats the shit out of that guy, and he uh, makes him, like... It was Tex, wasn't it? No, it wasn't was Tex. It Tex. Tex, uh, Tex shows up after he has left. That's right. Because he... Was that... He come in riding on... Yeah, it was on the horse. On horse. Yeah, because yeah. it was that blonde-haired guy that, like, all the, the girls were, like, in love with. Mm-hmm. And they were, like, just in agony watching him just get his fucking face beaten in by Cliff's <laughs> fist. Um, well, I was going to tell you, too, that uh, a lot of the girls in that scene are uh, daughters of famous uh, actors and actresses. Um, uh, Maya Hawke is one of the girls. She is the daughter of Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. Right. Uh, Rumor Willis, who is Bruce, uh, Bruce Willis and Demi Moore's daughter. Uh, Harley Quinn Smith, who's the daughter of Kevin Smith, the director. Right. And then Margaret, Margaret Qualley, uh, she plays Pussycat. That's the daughter of Andy McDowell, who's you probably know best as the, uh, the female lead in Groundhog Day. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, and then uh, Lena Headley from that show, Girls, that was on HBO for a few years. Uh-huh. She's in that too, which I never paid attention to that until I was researching that. She's in this too. Yeah, I don't think I noticed her. Yeah, she's the one that uh, when uh, they they Brad Pitt for, uh, brings Pussycat back home, she's the one that greets him. Okay. But trying. I'm sorry. I'm trying to picture it. Yeah. In my head. But yeah, that's that's my favorite scene in the movie, just because like I at this point, you, you, for me, like I'm so just like. Whenever Cliff is on screen, it's just like, all right, this dude's fucking awesome. I can't wait to get more of him. And then, like, I seriously thought, like, the whole time he's there, once he goes into the house, I thought they were going to kill him. Yeah. Or they were going to eventually turn him, and he was going to join up with the Manson family, too. Like, that was also a slight plot possibility, but I thought more that they were going to kill him in there. Yeah, and it... For me, you know how I, much, I've talked about it on here several times, how much I love history mm-hmm. and just the fascination of, I wouldn't say I'm fascinated with the Manson family, but just the whole thing that, you know, the whole reason they went there and murdered Sharon Tate and, and Folger and all them was because um, Charles Manson got denied a record deal with a guy that used to live in that house. Yeah, Brian Wilson of the uh, the Beach Boys. Right. Uh, my wife was telling me about that. She is like a huge like I. She was originally going to be on this tonight, but uh, things didn't work out, uh, and she was just ready for bed. So we record these kind of late. But uh, yeah, she's like, she was my my Manson go to. She was like ready. She was like going to answer any questions I had about the Manson family. Give all you guys and gals out there like any kind of 
stuff on the Mansons, but yeah, her and I could have uh, had a nice little back and forth about all that. Yeah, I could have just stepped away. I could have watched the rest of the uh, the Chiefs Bills game. Came back like forty five <laughs> minutes later. And we would have split this episode into two parts anyway. So hey, we're yeah, there, there you go. Uh, but that was my my favorite scene. Like I said, honorable mention goes to Cliff and Bruce Lee, uh, them fighting on the uh, the lot. And I also really like the uh, the opening of the movie when mm-hmm. Pitt and uh, DiCaprio go to the restaurant. And they meet Al Pacino's character, Marvin Schwartz. Awesome yeah, he's really good, and he kind of has the life that I want. I just want to have like a screening room. And I want to be able to drink like, like top shelf liquor and watch movies. That does sound like a dream of yours. <laughs> yeah, like just sit in this room, smoke like Cuban cigars, and drink well, cognac. And when all the fans of our uh, podcast start telling all their friends that they got to start listening, that'll be us one day. Yeah, or I'll just I'll fucking start a GoFundMe page. Like, hey man, just make. I just want a screening room. <laughs> I don't even have to buy top shelf cognac. Like I'll buy like the fucking uh, the budget stuff just to be able to do it. Um, but what wins best scene in this movie? I mean, there's so many good ones. It's really hard to pinpoint just one. Gosh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I'll defer to you. Well, I'm going to give it to mine since it's my nominee. Fair enough. All right, that was easy enough. Didn't even put up a fight for it. Spawn Ranch <laughs> scene wins best uh, scene of the movie. Um. The I Don't Like Sand, It's Coarse and Rough award for the worst or most unnecessary scene in the movie. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating. And it gets everywhere. I think I just told you, like, there's so many good ones in here, I really can't pinpoint a bad one. I couldn't think of one I either. mean... There's nothing that I would cut out of this movie. And it, like you said that this movie was originally going to be like four hours and change. Like, hey, give me more. Like, I would love to see a director's cut of this. I wonder, yeah, I wonder if Tarantino would be up for doing something like that. Uh, it'll be one of those. He usually feels about stuff like that, but. You know, I don't know. Like, they've never done anything else, like, with any of his other movies. Like, there's been an extended cut or a, a director's cut. I know for the longest time there's been this huge rumor that they were going to do the Kill Bill, the whole bloody affair, where they are going to basically recut Kill Bill and just put the two movies back together. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, we we, did, we talked about that. And they still haven't done it yet, and Kill Bill was what, like the early 2000s? That was a long time. I think it was 2004. Mm-hmm. And they haven't done anything with any of his other stuff yet. So I think he's one of those directors, like once he's made his cut, that's it. yeah. Like this He's is the movie. With it. This is the movie that I want. And usually, I think director's cuts are usually like if the studio has one vision for the movie, and then the director has another, and then like the studio is usually going to win out. But right. then, like you know, the director's like, "Hey, you know, at least let me put out the my cut on fucking home video." Like, "Oh yeah, sure, we'll make it a, we'll make more money selling two different versions of the movie." True, but all right, so. Yeah, I, there's really no move, a scene I'd cut out of this. So, uh, yeah, I like I said, I had nothing. So yeah, um, the new award that we have here on the show, the uh, we've changed this from the King Kong and got shit on me to the Dylan, you son of a bitch award for the best line of the movie. Dylan, 
You son of a bitch. Just know, Denzel, we still love you. It's you know, it's nothing. It you didn't do anything to make us love you less. Yeah. Uh, you listen to this. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like he he texts me every week. Like man, I love the episode. Like he was the one that told me like, hey, you know, you were hard on yourself last week. I thought you were awesome, almost as awesome as I am in the new uh, the new Macbeth movie that you can stream <laughs> on Apple. Oh, nice Al- plugging movies for for people that don't actually listen to us. Hey, I don't know. Maybe Denzel does listen to us. I don't know. Maybe we'll That'd change the name sweet. of the I'm the King of the World Award to the Denzel Washington Award for fucking being awesome. That's fair enough. All right, we'll we'll discuss that after uh, after we're done rolling. But uh, my uh, nominee for this award is the uh, Hey, you're Rick fucking Dalton, and don't you forget it. That's a good line. Yeah, and the reason I say that uh, that's mine is because I think all of us have struggled with confidence at one time or another. I know it's been a big thing with me here lately, uh, but then uh, it kind of it comes back. At the end of the scene uh, in Lancer, when uh, the big climax where Lancer comes in, which, did you know that's Luke Perry? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah, last movie role, he died 10 days after, uh, I think they, I think he died 10 days after they were done shooting this. It seems kind of dangerous to be on a Tarantino film. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't everybody know. Just, everybody around it or involved in Maybe it just this died one. on this one. Yeah. Uh, but it comes back around because after everybody's telling him how great he was in that scene, you kind of hear him whisper, like, Rick fucking Dalton. Yeah. It's like he gets his confidence back, and I think that's what leads him to do the the spaghetti westerns after that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, with with me, you, and producer Adam, sometimes we need to pick each other up sometimes. Mm-hmm. So uh, got to remind each other, you know. Sometimes you got to remind me I'm Billy Tough. That's right. And you're Russ you're, fucking uh, Casto. That's right. You're Russ fucking Casto. Um, well, what was your nominee? Uh, mine is, uh, so a lot of my stuff is like towards the end of the movie because I really, that, you know, that was my favorite scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, Cliff is high on uh, acid and, uh, you know, Tex comes in there. He's like, you are real, right? Tex goes, I'm real as a donut, motherfucker. Yeah, that whole that I whole exchange that is really good. Because I love it when he says, he gives him that line, he goes, I'm the devil. He's trying to figure out what his name was because he recognizes him from the Spawn Ranch. Right. And then he's like, he asks, like, he gets the two girls right and he can't think of Tex's name. And then he, uh, Tex says, I'm the devil. And he has that line about the devil. He goes, nah, something dumber than that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like their, I love their exchange towards the end of this. Yeah, that that whole that whole scene's awesome. And honestly, I I would be okay giving the uh, best scene to this if it doesn't spoil the movie. I don't know if right. it would spoil the movie, but this I considering this movie's only a couple of years old, I'm really hesitant to do it compared to some of our other stuff. Right. Yeah, because you know some people haven't seen it. I know. Uh, I know my my lady hasn't seen it. So. Mm. Yeah, I mean. If this movie would have been uh, in 2009 instead of 2019, yeah, I'd, like, I'd fucking spoil away. It's like, hey, you've had 10 years to watch this thing. <laughs> well, if they have had almost three years. so. Oh, yeah, but, you know, a lot's changed in the world in three years. You're it's a lot me. different world than it was in 2019. 
that is a fair assessment. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, really uh, good stuff. Like, I just love the stuff where they're uh, Randy, Kurt Russell, uh, is like the exchange with Cl- or with Rick, who's telling him, like, hey, I don't trust the fucking dude. I like that stuff too. But I know I'm okay giving the award uh, to you for Sweet. your line. I mean, it's probably not the best line of the movie, but you know what? That that whole exchange is fucking awesome. So, so just, we'll give the award to that whole exchange then. Yeah, true. Harumph. Harumph. Even though I found out that it means disagree, doesn't matter. It means what we want it to mean. Yeah, that's right. Because it's our fucking show. We'll do whatever we want. That's right. Um, the McLovin Award for the best supporting performance. I am McLovin. Uh, this is also probably the toughest field that we've had to narrow down yet it's yeah because you said there's a lot of uh great actors in this yeah a lot of people that you would recognize uh um i'll just roll out my nominees first and you give me yours and we'll kind of narrow it down from there um i have uh julia uh (laughs) i don't know why i just (laughs) stuttered like that i I guess i'm beatboxed yeah i know it's you would almost think that i was uh that was a glitch but i think i pulled a rick dalton a little bit because rick Stuttersness. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I had uh, Julia Butters as Trudy, the girl on the set of Lancer. Yeah. She's really good. Um, I have Al Pacino as uh, Marvin Schwartz. Liked him. And I have Brandy the dog. <laughs> there, there's where Brandy the dog comes in. Yeah, uh, dude, in terms of movie dogs, uh, that dog is right up there with Beethoven and Hooch from Turner and Hooch. So that's, that's some high praise there. Yeah, I'm sure I'm missing another movie, a more infamous movie dog. But that's usually like, that's part of the Mount Rushmore for me. Maybe the, the German Shepherd from K9 with Jim Belushi. Um, what's what's that dog? Or the the two dogs and the cat. Oh, the uh, Homer the Bound. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the, the cha- Chase I know, and Chance. Chance. And, Your reason uh, I remember that is because my cousin's name's Chance, and I used to kind of razz him a bit for being named after <laughs> the Homer Bound dog. <laughs> uh, those are heartwarming fucking movies too. I showed those to my son a few years ago. Oh, I love the, I love those movies. Yeah, uh, I showed them to him, and he actually was interested enough to watch them. So nice. I did. Uh, I did okay. Um, but those are my nominees. Who do you have? Uh, I just have one nominee because there's just there's so many you know people in this. But for me, I nominated Margot Robbie because if you can if you can do so well in a movie that you make, you know, the actress's sister actually cry. Cause you you portray them so well mm. that they feel like they're watching them. Yeah. Then, then to me, that's the best performance. I, I thought about her, but I was also trying to think if she was in it too much. I don't know. Cause I mean, the story really is about Rick and cliff, right. but I'm just trying to, cause Realistically, she her big scene is the scene where she goes to pick up the book, and then she goes to the movie theater. Is playing her movie, and then there's like a couple of the the lines. Uh, you know what? Okay, I'm, I can give it to her. Okay. I mean, I would have naturally given it to her, but I was debating on whether she's in it too much or not. But we also don't have like a set criteria on like how to award this either. So, well, we kind of do. If they're in it too much, we won't give it to them. But I I don't know that she's in it too much. 
if anything, I really liked Al Pacino in this movie. So if Margot Robbie was in it too much, I wouldn't have any problem giving it to Al Pacino. I I would give uh, I would give it to him because he does have that awesome screening room and he gets to just live the life that I dream of. <laughs> um, uh, Brandy the dog has a strong case too because she eats a dog food called Wolf's Tooth, which is rat flavored. If you notice on the cans, it says rat flavored with vitamin D, and it has raccoon flavor with vitamin C. That's awesome. And the fact that ever since I've seen that movie, I've tried with my two dogs to get them to respond to that, and they don't. Really? Yeah, they they will not. They will hmm. not respond. Well, so, that's just lazy and not good enough. But you know what, though? I'll give it to Margot Robbie because, I mean, she's in it prominently but i think the fact that this is basically about rick and cliff i'm okay giving it to margot robbie she's really good in this and like i said i think she should have been nominated for an academy award yeah i agree so and like i said anytime you can make somebody's family member feel like they've been transformed (laughs) back to you know seeing their uh deceased family member that's Mm -hmm. you've done a great job yeah okay so yeah we're giving it to margot robbie I'm okay with that. Harumph. Harumph. Um, the Eric Stoltz Award for the performer that you would recast, I wouldn't recast anybody. Why would you? Tarantino has always been really good about casting his movies, and this isn't any different. No. I I've mean, never seen a movie that, like, it. I would wonder if somebody else would be better in it. Although, I was intrigued by the, uh, in Django Unchained, that was supposed to be Will Smith. As Django, mm-hmm. and then he turned it down, and then they cast Jamie Foxx, which I, I think Jamie Foxx is perfect. I wouldn't recast him, but I wondered how that movie would be with Will Smith instead of Jamie Foxx. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know, because I, I, I really love Jamie Foxx in that movie. I think he's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't, wouldn't touch that. I was like, yeah, you you guys nailed it. But I, I've always wondered if how the movie would be with Will Smith instead. Hmm. Never even thought about that. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, questions about the movie, that brings us to the unsolved mysteries of the movie. Join me. Perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery. Um, did you have any? I did not, but I did. You sent me your notes, and I'm very intrigued by yours. And I actually have an answer to one of them. Oh, okay. Uh, my first uh, one is, uh, what's Rick Dalton's career like after this movie? So I have the answer to this because I seen when I was doing my research, Tarantino actually said that he doesn't believe that he actually became a star. Mm-hmm. He became kind of like a, like a mid level. Um, I think it was Tarantino that said it. Somebody said it. That was in this movie, mm. but I believe it was Tarantino. Kind of like a mid-level, never reached stardom, kind of was just a character actor. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I seen him, too. Like, I I kind of figured it, like, because I know at the end when he finally gets to meet Sharon Tate, like, that's to set up the fact, like, oh, he's going to finally get to work with Roman Polanski, who at the time was, like, a really big up-and-coming director. I think when this movie was out, he had – in the timeline of the movie, I think Rosemary's Baby had come out. Yeah. And I don't think he had done Chinatown yet, which is, I think, his like his big claim. To, I think Roman Polanski. I can't believe I forgot that he did Chinatown. I think Roman Polanski does Chinatown. 
but well, uh this this part of the of the of the show is where it would be good like if uh our good buddy Luke Frost was on here or yeah Roman Adam. Plansky did Chinatown there was that self-doubt creeping in see you're Russ fucking cast yeah um but yeah I, I don't think he did Chinatown yet so I wonder if Rick would have been cast in Chinatown hmm. but yeah, could have been um yeah I, I kind of seen him as like Maybe he had a shot at being like a lead, and it just never panned out. So he kind of settles back into he's he ends up being better than he was in. Uh, like he basically plays like the villain on a TV show, but I don't think he was ever going to be like the star of anything. Right. Yeah, and that's whoever. And I, I wish I would have like wrote that down, but uh, whoever said it, yeah, they they kind of hinted that he never really took off. So. Yeah, because I think considering like how this movie plays with like does his career, I I don't think that he would get the happy ending of being like an A plus leading man. He's but, kind of a train wreck, really. Mentally. Yeah, but also it's like you get to see him redeem himself in the the Lancer episode, and then he redeems himself in the uh, Spaghetti Western. So yeah, I kind of see him having like a mid level career, like. One of those guys that like would still be working today, yeah. kind of like a Bruce Dern type of actor who's not like a, an A plus lister, but he's had like a long, steady career who works well. I think George, Bruce Dern was like in his late eighties, early nineties when he did this movie. Wow! So, so yeah, I can um, maybe see him have that kind of career. One one more thing about the character, um, I read that. It was written as he was bipolar too, mm-hmm. so that all like you know looking at it through that lens, it kind of makes sense too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that got pretty dark though when he was in his uh, trailer. Also, an awesome scene that I can't believe we didn't get a chance to mention. But when he has the, he starts flipping out in his trailer. And he basically says yeah. like, "You're going to get this, or I'm going to blow your brains out tonight." I was like, "Okay, I've tried to motivate myself by looking at myself <laughs> in the mirror, but I've never gone to those lengths." Never threaten yourself like no, that. No, I've never threatened myself like that. It's like, hey, man, maybe if you don't get this shit right, you're not going to eat, like, you're not going to get a Pepsi tonight or something like that, but or a beer. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I'm never, like, I'm going to shoot myself after after the day. But, yeah, I, I see that kind of career for him, too. Uh, my second question is what happens to Cliff? Because they uh, – Basically, the whole ending of the movie was basically like Cliff and uh, Rick's sort of like they're parting ways after this. Uh, that's Which, a good question. I wonder if you know he goes on did stunt work for somebody else, or maybe uh, leaves the industry altogether and goes and does something. You know, maybe in Vegas. Well, He's got charisma. Well, I mean, like, he basically, he says, like, early on, or in the middle of the movie, that he hasn't done stunt work in a long time. Basically, yeah, his I whole mean, job is, like, just being Rick's gopher. Right. So maybe he turns back to that, or, like I said, he's got a lot of charisma. Maybe he goes, makes a, a name of himself in a big city somewhere doing something. Not Maybe not acting, but, you know. I don't know. I, I, I see Cliff as more one of those guys that just kind of, like he doesn't really amount to much, but he's always just able to get by. 
kind of living life. Yeah, I could, like I could see that. Yeah, like I'm not doing anything major because he's kind of blacklisted in Hollywood because everybody kind of knows like he is rumored to have killed his wife and got away right. with it. So he kind of has a reputation that a lot of people don't want to work with him because of that. Which I find kind of funny because Hollywood seems like one of those places where, you know, if you murder your spouse, it's kind of like, ah, you know, there's more bitches out there. That's how I view Hollywood. Well, anyway. there was a, there's a, uh, an infamous, uh, an uns, I, I don't know if it's an unsolved case or what, but uh, there was an actress uh, named Natalie Wood, and uh, she was on a boat with her husband, Robert Wagner, who you, the only thing I can think of that you would know him from is he played the old number two in the Austin Powers movies. You know how Rob Lowe was the younger version of him? Yeah. Robert Wagner was the older version of him. Okay. Um, and he was married to this actress named Natalie Wood, who was a fairly big name. And uh, Christopher Walken was also on this boat. And uh, Natalie Wood apparently falls over the boat and drowns. Oh, wow. But they suspect that foul, like, they suspected for years that Robert Wagner killed her. Now, I don't know how true that is. It's been rumored for a long time that she was she could have possibly been murdered because, like, the events to where she drowned don't really add up. And I know they well, just opened the case back up. Yeah, I, I see an article here from 2018, and he was named a person of interest in her death. Um, but like I said, this is from 2018. I is he even still alive? Uh, yeah, I think he still is. Because he was 87 at the time of at this time, so he'd be, what, 90? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, even if, I mean, shit, even if he is a person of interest, they're, what are they going to do to him? Mm. House arrest him? I mean, the guy probably has to have assistance to pee by this point, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, that kind of mirrors that. But, yeah, like you said, though, like, he had a very steady career for years, and I'm sure that, like, that was a thing that like kind of hung over his head, at least within inside Hollywood that he, uh, you know, he may have done something. Right. And I didn't expect this to go from being an episode about once upon a time to Holly in Hollywood to, uh, an E true Hollywood story. But <laughs> We do have the charisma of that. Right. Um, but yeah, like, uh, that's, that's kind of how I see Cliff's life turning out. Just, he's like one of those guys that like kind of like does odd jobs and, you know, just kind of gets by, manages to skate by, you know, in life. So, um, but yeah, that, those are the only ones that I, I really have. I mean, they kind of wrap up everything kind of nice. So, um, the last award is the, I'm the king of the world award for the winner of the movie. Um, I'm the king of the world. Who do you have as your nominee? Uh, I have Brad Pitt. Okay. Why um, do you have Brad you know, Pitt? You, you said he won the Academy Award mm-hmm. uh, for Best Supporting Actor. Well-deserved, in my opinion. And uh, the big reason that I nominated him is because, as you said, Tarantino is known for writing really well, you know, dialogue really well. And he trusted Brad Pitt so much that he allowed him to improvise most of his lines. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is Brad Pitt's best performance that I've personally ever seen him in. Mm-hmm. In a movie. So that that's why I nominated him. Yeah. Um, I have 
Pitt as well, but I also have Pitt and DiCaprio together. Yeah, and I, I don't think you can go wrong there. Um, uh, Pitt, like, you know, all the things that you stated, and plus, like, I think he was able to create probably one of the coolest characters in, in Tarantino movies. I mean, Tarantino's done Jules Winfield, which I don't think anybody's ever going to be able to top him in terms yeah. of cool coolness, because, like, Jules is the fucking man. But he's done uh, Jules Winfield. He's done Hans Landa, who's a, an incredible movie villain. Uh, he's done, uh, you know, the, the guys from uh, Reservoir Dogs. He's done The Bride and uh, Kill Bill. But, I mean, Cliff Booth is right up there with him. Like, yeah. And what I said earlier, Tom Cruise was in the running to play Cliff. Like, and I, I said I can't see Tom Cruise doing that because I just don't think he has the Brad Pitt vibe. I just, nah, Brad Pitt just naturally seems like he just seems kind of cool. Mm-hmm, yeah, and I I think you have to have that kind of that brand of charisma to pull this off, and I I can't see anybody else doing it. Right. And yeah. Then, no, uh, I totally agree with that. And then uh, DiCaprio, I I honestly think this is probably one of DiCaprio's three or four best acting performances he's ever had. I, I think it's funny that the further down his career that we get, the better he's getting. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like, I think it takes a special talent to be, like, as good as he is to be able to play a bad actor, which Rick Dalton is. Let's be real here. Rick Dalton's not a great actor. Right. And the fact that he's able to tailor his performance to be, it's a good actor playing a bad actor, I think takes a special kind of talent. Well, that, speaking of Tom Cruise, you know, I wasn't able to be on the last episode. Um, In my notes, written for that um that was the first movie that tom cruise had ever been in where he wasn't like a specialist of what he did he had to figure it all out Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like kind of like that you know he he kind of went back and had to learn the craft and all that stuff Mm -hmm. yeah and i realistically like i wonder if in like five years because i think yeah joaquin phoenix won for the joker Mm mm-hmm like, looking back, if you were to go five or ten years down the road, whether that still holds up as well, and, like, whether DiCaprio, his performance in this kind of gets a little bit more love than it does. Because I think Pitt's so good he overshadows DiCaprio a lot of ways. Yeah. I remember Pitt's performance from this more so than I do DiCaprio's. Yeah, and, I mean, like, watching this, I've seen this movie three or four different it's actually four times now, but like Cliff uh, really stood out for me. But then, like I, this time I really paid attention to uh, DiCaprio a lot more in this, and I really found that like, because realistically for me, it's this movie, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, which he's fucking batshit crazy, and I love that performance. But like, <laughs> he won Best Actor for The Revenant, and The Revenant I, I find to be a good movie, but. I think that him getting best actor in some ways was kind of like, hey, you know, you've had such a great career. There's really nobody else that we could see giving us a war to, so we're going to give it to you. And I think that kind of hamstrings him a little bit for this movie because I think he's better in this than he is in uh, The Revenant because I think he has to do more acting yeah. in this. And I just I, it makes me wonder if like, I revisit these five or ten years down the road. And I thought the Joker was good, but I don't think that's a movie I really want to revisit anytime soon. That movie made me really uncomfortable. It did. And 
Joaquin Phoenix is fantastic in it, but it makes me want to revisit those down the road to see which one holds up better. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I, I do have to disagree with you slightly on um, your assessment of the Revenant because I don't think he has as many lines in that. Well, so he, he does get do attacked lot. by a fucking bear. I mean, that's that's true. That takes he acting have to do chops. A lot more like facial acting, uh-huh. which I think he's really excellent. I think he deserved the Academy Award for that, but I also think that he deserved an Academy Award for Wolf of Wall Street. Oh yeah, I, I think that for sure. But I don't know. Like I, th- I don't think he's as good in the Revenant as he is in some other stuff. I think it's more. No, I agree with you. I think they did do that because was it was it Wolf of Wall Street that they felt he got snubbed for right um, before this before the Revenant? I think so. I I think I'm on record as saying I think he should have won for Wolf of Wall Street. I can't remember off the top of my head who wins that year, but. But that was that was the right before the Revenant, right? That came out right before then, mm-hmm. about a year or so before. Yeah, uh, Wolf of Wall Street was two thousand and sixteen. Yeah, it, I it's think... the same year. It's the same year that uh, I think the Desolation of Small come out, that Hobbit movie. Because I remember the defi- defecation of Smog. The defecation of Smog. The desecration of smog, the deflowering of smog. <laughs> oh, daddy! Um, but yeah, because I, I remember very distinctly, my wife and I were uh, we were going to see a movie, and it was between Wolf of Wall Street and Smog. But we chose Smog because it they were both three hours or close to it. But Wolf of Wall Street started at like ten o'clock at night. And Oof. Smog was like 8.30, so we chose that because... Because of the uh, time, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Yeah, kind of regretted it. So, um, But hey, let's just give uh, the winners of this movie, we'll just give it to DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. Sounds good we to both, me. They both win. Because, I mean, honestly, like these two together, like I kind of want to see them together again. I do too. Yeah, like uh, I know a couple times I know... Uh, Producer Adam and I were talking about great movie duos on our Toy Story episode, which you can uh-huh. find on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. But uh, I think we forgot to mention Pitt and DiCaprio in this. Yeah. I mean, I mean they, they are modern-day iconic now. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like, I'm okay giving it to them. And, like, let's get another movie together. I'll, uh, I'll write a strongly worded non-cussing email okay cool i'll bring i'll bring the honey not the vinegar well don't even write an email i think handwritten letters are more personable that's true and they they can read my handwriting yeah well write and have somebody write it for you (laughs) okay all right well before we wrap this up you got anything you want to add no um do uh do set yourself a lot of time to watch this movie because it's very long but it's worth it yeah uh, it's a perfect movie to see on a, a day like today here in Ohio where it is snowed. It's kind of crappy outside. It's kind of, if this wasn't NFL playoff weekend, it would have been a perfect day to sit down and watch this. Uh, I watched it in the morning before the game started. So, But, yeah, it, it's a perfect uh, crummy day afternoon movie to watch for sure. Highly recommend checking it out. Uh, unfortunately, you'll have to rent it or buy it from 
wherever you get your movies. So that's the thing that sucks. So be sure to let Paramount Plus, HBO Max, Netflix, all of them know that you want this on streaming. So. Yeah, good point. Well, you won't regret it if you rent it or buy it. Anyway. Right, yeah. It, it's definitely, or hell, hit, hit up the red box. I'm sure it's hit the red box for a buck. You guys got a dollar. <laughs> you better have a fucking dollar. Or uh, they have free promo codes floating around on the internet all the time. Do a little Google, little Google searching. You'll be able to find a free movie code for sure. So uh, if you don't have anything else to add, uh, wrap this bad boy up, and we will talk at you guys later. And that wraps up this week's episode of the Couch Potato Podcast. Thank you all once again for joining us this week. And if you like what we're doing here at the show, please, please leave us a uh, review on Apple Podcast. You can even give us uh, star ratings on Spotify now, which is really cool. So please, if you like what we're doing, we really appreciate any kind of feedback we get. Coming up next Tuesday, Lucas and I to celebrate the return of the Winter Olympic Games. We're going to sit down to talk about the 2004 hockey movie, Miracle, which starts Kurt Russell, which you guys listen to the show. You know how much of a fan of Kurt Russell I am. So that ought to be an awesome episode. So until next Tuesday, we will talk at you guys later.